back to the Christian Culture. This is Gordon. And this is Clint. And this week, we have a special guest, Chris Donato. What's up? Chris, you want to tell us a little bit about who you are? And actually, you have a YouTube channel, too. You want to tell us about that, too? I do. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I was thinking what to say first. What's yeah, so my name is Chris Donato. I'm a missionary with Door Ministries. It's my third year being in the mission. I've been married for 11 years to Erica. I have two girls, five and seven. Yeah, you yeah. Nice. Hold that secret for anybody who wants to steal them and hold them for ransom. You don't need to know their names because <laughs> I've got money. <laughs> yeah, a record holder as a, as a power lifter. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> in Colorado, it doesn't count. Oh, no, I, I do here. have one here in Texas. Yeah. Here, that's really? right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in this one federation. Yeah. Are there for, a lot of federations for power lifting in Texas? There's tons of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's okay. tons of them. Yeah. What's the record? Uh, mine was, uh, deadlift was 512 and my bench was 303 i think and it was for my weight class but i mean if you go to like the, like the big federations where people are like super strong i'm like nowhere near that like yeah like for my weight class <laughs> i should be like deadlifting like over 600 pounds but i'm not there oh my gosh <laughs> yeah I, but i also have like you know a life and family <laughs> and it's not my priority and so apparently yeah, everybody it's else it's just for fun apparently everybody else in houston does too since <laughs> <laughs> the federation you joined you, you, yeah you want you're, you're the winner that's crazy though yeah. holy cow uh you want to tell us about your your channel and what that looks like yeah so uh i only have three episodes up just because i'm not a techie and ran into a problem and so i haven't figured it out yet well i figured it out i just haven't done it yet so i haven't uploaded in like three weeks but the channel is called uh drinks with dreads and it's basically me sitting down, having a beer, any sort of drink with someone. Kind of, it's kind of based around that kind of community, getting together uh, and sharing, and just getting their story. Whoever the person is, uh, I pick people based on not necessarily ministry, but like the life they've lived, what their interests are, what they do, um, and just find go a little bit deeper than the surface of what do you do, but why and what inspired that. Mm. So I have one with a friend who's who left ministry to be full time do full-time music and open his own studio out of his house. Um, I have one with a friend who has his own coffee roasting company and his love and passion for that, and like where where he finds even spirituality within that. Right. I have another one, a friend of ours who is, you know, who's mixed race, black and, and um, Native American, and just asking him what his experience has been in, you know, doing youth ministry in a church that's, that's majority, you know, Anglo, and just kind of growing up with that. So just kind of getting people's stories. Is, yeah. uh, it's something I love doing naturally and it's been on my heart for the past five or so years and I kept saying no and I read a I read Mother Angelica's the her first bio and in it she said you know if God ever inspired her to do something she would just do it and if it crashed and burned who cared because God so loved her and if it took off awesome and so I was right. like okay I have no excuse so I got the basic stuff I needed use my phone and a couple lapel mics and it's been so fun I love it. You do that all on a phone? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The good. recording and, and the editing on the phone. Dang. And that's the nice. editing? Mm-hmm. Wow. Like an app? Yeah, like the eye, eye moving on the phone. It comes on, the, it comes on the, uh, the iPhone. Dang. You might have to teach us how to do that after this. <laughs> well, that's really cool, though. Yeah. I, I love it. Like, you're literally just sitting down and talking, like getting to know that's it. the person. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly think that fits really, really well with what we're talking about today, too. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to be talking about the movie Tolkien, mm-hmm. about J.R. Tolkien. And that was something that he and his his friends, the Inklings, like, that's what they did. They just they sat down. They got to talk to people. They went for these really long, obnoxious walks where they would 
walk and talk until like two o'clock in the morning and their mm-hmm. wives would get mad at him stuff like that yeah <laughs> but they just they just got to know it know people yeah and, and their stories so so that's what we're gonna be talking about the movie tolkien and to get started i've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while this was so, so rough i'm like, <laughs> I mean, you need to see it you saw it and I, you're like, I can't say anything we were, before we started recording you're like we were trying to talk like, stop talking <laughs> yeah we mics are off save we, it for the show we literally had to cut ourselves off so <laughs> i finally want to know what were your thoughts uh, on this movie did you like it did you not like it i really enjoyed it okay honestly i mean i've read a bunch of tolkien i've read one bio uh, i read this it's sort of, sort of a bio and I thought, I thought they did a really good job. I wasn't sure because I saw in some of the on some of the advertising that they were kind of throwing in the uh, mixing the war and his stories kind of visually, mm-hmm. and so I was kind of worried about that. But I thought they did it really well to the part to the point where yeah, it just came across across really good. And it took some liberties with the story, especially with like him and him and his wife. But I understand why, like visually, like. You don't want all the communication to be through letters, or if there are things that happen just through letters in the movie. Right. Um, although that can work, it has worked in movies, but I loved it. I thought they did a really good job. I was surprised where they stopped. Yes. Because they didn't yes. go into the Inklings. They started with the TS, whatever his like high school group was called, that journey with him. Yeah, it yeah. started in high school, and then it went basically through the, the war, and then mm-hmm. two of them passed away in, in the war. And so I was actually talking with someone else today. It would be awesome to have like a second one. And that went into more of the writing and the Inklings and brought in C.S. Lewis and other people. Or we could right. even call it like the Inklings. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Write that down. Edit that. We'll take that out it. and we'll write it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think that'd be awesome. Because that was actually one of the critiques I had too. You haven't seen it yet, Gordon. I have right? not seen it. Okay. Why are you here? I probably would not have many <laughs> critiques. Yeah. I'm like the, I'm the Costello to the Abbott and Costello group right now. <laughs> I'm just here to ask Who's on first? The control, <laughs> control group. Yeah. So I actually had the opposite reaction. I was not a fan. Mm. The f- when I first watched it, and the the day I talked to you, I was pretty undecided. So part of it was just there were some really specific things that were awesome mm-hmm. uh, and just really accurate to who they were. My favorite one. I keep telling this to Gordon is the sugar cubes. Oh yeah. And how yeah Edith actually used to throw yeah sugar. it was more discreet than what they showed in the, mm-hmm. in the movie but like just little details like that that were just so on point mm-hmm. but then there was just like so much i think of who tolkien was that was mm-hmm. missing i mean a lot of that being i think the faith aspect it, mm-hmm. it, he, they almost portrayed him as being anti-priest or like mm-hmm. not liking father francis mm-hmm. which was kind of weird to me because He's written multiple times that Father Francis was like was a father figure, the most important person in his life. Yeah, and so that relationship kind of messed with me a little bit. Mm. But I also think like visually, it was a pretty cool movie. Mm. Like it was cool to see. I think the battle scenes were awesome. Yeah, having the like built into the flames, seeing like the Balrog and yeah. stuff like oh, that. Like, it was so, so cool. Yeah, having the wraith going and like when people got shot, it was like the wraith stabbing them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think like. That kind of visual interpretation, like in the battlefield, mm-hmm. was super cool. It, it was just like the person of Tolkien and how they portrayed like his personality. It just seemed like there was something something off. I read I I read in 
and I, I saw it in, in passing, so I didn't dwell on it because I hadn't seen the movie yet. But I read how someone was was complaining about the lack of his faith life. But it didn't bother me because I I didn't expect Hollywood to put that in there. Yeah, you know, I didn't expect them to spend time and and show how much of his Catholic faith went into the story and stuff like that. So I wasn't that didn't bother me much. And also, I think the times where they showed him most angry at the priest or upset about the priests. I mean, we're in like some pretty rough areas where. Uh, it came to the point where you know the priest was his legal guardian. He was like a father figure, and he saw, you know, he saw Tolkien not performing to what he needed to do because he wasn't he wasn't rich and couldn't get into Oxford. He couldn't pay for Oxford, so he needed uh, a scholarship. And he was spending time with her. Not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing, but he also like failed an important exam. And so when he told them, "Hey, you can't communicate with her till I'm until you're 21, where I'm not responsible for you." Uh, I understood that made sense to me why he would be upset and angry at him. Did um, I was kind of reading this? Uh, I think someone else that our account follows on Twitter was saying the same thing. Like his faith life seemed less there. Mm-hmm. But did, I guess what I would want from a Tolkien movie, and this is funny because I know nothing like from Tolkien, mm-hmm. um, would be what led him to write Lord of the Rings and so on. Did it seem like that, or just seem more of like a biography of? Tolkien growing up did it seem like more of like what inspired him to be an inkling or did it seem just like this is this is like literally who Tolkien is and what he grew up and did does that make sense I think they hinted at that a little bit Mm -hmm. I don't know if they ever like explicitly said like this is how it happened but you see the inklings were foreshadowed Mm -hmm. from that group that he had as as a a high schooler and into university what were they called it's driving me nuts too. TCBS. TCBS. There we go. T Club and Barovian Society. There mm-hmm. we go. Okay, TCBS. So yeah, I think the TCBS obviously is like a foreshadowing of the Inklings, but they never really mentioned the Inklings, mm-hmm. and they kind of well, actually, they didn't cut it off before then because in that f- final couple of scenes, which I love, the Ink. I think those were the best scenes. Now they ended it. it was like. Right, but they kept going. <laughs> so uh, the Inklings would have been around at that time, though. Mm-hmm. Like they would have been yeah. established by then, but there was no really um, no mention of them at that point. They they yeah. they didn't pour it on heavy. Like yeah. here's what inspired him to do. But they what I like about it is they sprinkle it throughout the storyline okay. of his life. Like his right. mother like read them, you know, about Sigurd and and these uh, Norse or Finnish whatever tales, which were his inspiration. He switched his major to philology, his love of language, uh, and they kept alluding to him being like a linguistic genius, mm-hmm. which is where we, he was able to, you know, like like the professor said, borrow from other languages like Finnish. Right. So they lightly sprinkle it throughout, and definitely with the visuals, and of, although Lord of the Rings is not an allegory, it borrows from his life, and so like during the war, you'd, you'd see like in the fire, the Balrog, you see a yeah. dragon, blowing fire while the f- flamethrower while they're using flamethrowers yeah. or like the wraiths and the, like the night fighting um so they definitely sprinkle it they don't like it's not like blatant right but yeah that was my next question actually i think like the listeners know clint loves tolkien and i i think it's safe to assume they might probably know you do too since a lot of the I'm media the a lot of the media <laughs> well, and, that, and a lot of media he intakes in the beginning when he talks about it are books that he's borrowed from you yeah it's usually Tolkien-based or C.S. Lewis-based. Mm-hmm. But did the war inspire Lord of the Rings? I think he says it 
in this yeah. book I brought. I think he explains it like really well to where it's like it's not an allegory, but it's it's, just, it's like anything else in our life that like anything that's come before is gonna like influence turmoil now. Now you know. Um, well, that's actually something I wanted to talk about too. So I, I think while you're looking that up, he hated allegory, but he loved symbolism, and I think between him and C.S. Lewis, there's a big distinction of how they do that. So he never wanted to explicitly like create an allegory, but things that happen in our lives influence the way that we write and the way that we create mm-hmm. art. And that just naturally becomes part of our writing. And so he even had in his letters a quote where he said that Lord of the Rings is explicitly a, a Christian or Catholic, I don't remember which word he used, piece of literature and he said unconsciously so at first, but in the revision, consciously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's that's what I was looking at. But it's not up. an allegory to like the Christian story is what he's saying. Either. Yeah, yeah. So it's not an allegory. And I mean the the best example I can give of that is like the Christ figures in mm-hmm. in each story. So you look at C.S. Lewis and the Narnia story. Mm-hmm. There's an obvious Christ figure, mm-hmm. Aslan. But if you look at he even alludes to it at the at in the last book saying I'm. I'm called something else in your world. Yes. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like an obvious comparison, obvious uh, allegory in all these different ways, not just that one. But then you go to Lord of the Rings, and we even did an episode on this. There are Christ figures mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings, but none of them are this explicit uh, interpretation of Christ figures mm-hmm. because Tolkien didn't think you could match that. Mm-hmm. Like, and he perfect, didn't, he didn't plan out and say, I'm going to write these characters out as Christ figures. It's they, just, it's they just, just like, exist. because of his faith and his life, they right. naturally came out. And yeah. that's just naturally how he wrote them. And yeah. I think, to be honest, like, that's how we're supposed to, like, be as Christians. Mm. Like, everything that we should create should exude that. I mean, that's part of, like, part of the show that we have here, even. Yeah. It should just come forth in everything that we do. Yeah. 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 Hmm. In this letter, Tolkien actually sent to this guy that, that was helping him Put things together for Silmarillion. It was uh, a guy who had read Lord of the Rings and basically pointed that out. All the Christ figures, uh, Gandalf's this way, and the sacrifice, and he's the there's the priest, prophet, king. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Tolkien's response to that was, "Much of this is true enough, except, of course, the general impression given that I had any such schema in my conscience and mind before or during the the writing." Just. Uh, so then he goes on and says, No doubt Tolkien would have ing- agreed with C.S. Lewis's conclusion that the deeper meaning of a story must rise from the writer's lifetime spiritual roots mm. rather than be consciously inserted. Yeah. You know, like, it just naturally came out. He didn't plan on, on I'm going to have three Christ figures and they're going to be priest, prophet, king. You know, like, it just naturally came out that way. Right. It's, it's, and I think that's what he, what he how he explains the, the religion aspect and how Catholic it is in there. It's not overt. It's It's very within the world you know like right. when they when they cry out to forget one of the valar it's it that's you know the communion of saints right so that's what that yeah. is you know that's it's or uh they give prayer of thanksgiving they give different they give prayer uh petition in there when they're asking for help that's with that's all throughout the, the story the elves as angels mm-hmm. lambus bread as the eucharist like all that stuff and i think going off of that a big part of it is he doesn't think that faith is something that you do as much as it's something of part of who you are Mm -hmm. and so it just naturally comes from that and so i think the big question next then is would tolkien have liked this movie knowing that he obviously 
valued and cherished his faith, but he was more subliminal in the way that he presented it. Mm-hmm. So what do y'all think? I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> based on what I just learned, I think he would fear that people might think his stories are more of an allegory based off of some of the imagery in this movie. Because mm-hmm. uh, they don't really allude to the fact that it's not in the movie that show like, this is his life, and then these are the stories he's written in, in, in sequence of certain events mm-hmm. through his life. And I think that might come across as like, oh, this is what he was writing about, rather than like, this is what inspired mm-hmm. that idea. And he might not like that, but yeah. otherwise I have no idea. I posed that question to Clint because I was just curious as a writer, mm-hmm. someone who I think like writes adventure stories, the hero's tale and all that stuff, I'm sure that he knew and liked or hated, even though this was a biography or, or whatever, would he have liked the way they told his story? Yeah, when you asked me this question the other day, it kind of threw me off too because I don't think that he would want explicit Catholicism mm-hmm. in the movie. Other than obviously, like telling his story, there's going to be the priest there. Yeah, but I do think like that's obviously a really big part of his his life, and so the idea, like what you were saying, of how it should show that's part of what inspired him. I, I think, at least in undertones, he would have appreciated. I think he would have. I honestly think the only complaint he would have had would have been they didn't focus a ton. It was in there, so I appreciate it, but they didn't focus a ton on the mythologies that he borrowed from. Like, they didn't go into detail yeah, about that. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's in there. They didn't go into detail about that, and, and um, he, he, you know, he borrowed from different languages and, and the different mythologies, and his whole purpose was to give you know, Great Britain a, a mythology, like a history, which, mm-hmm. they, which, in his opinion, they lacked. But I think he would have enjoyed it because it focused on, other than his faith, it focused on two huge parts of his life which was brotherhood was mm-hmm. fraternity that was huge right that's why he always he always had it like in, in high school he, they created that group and then as he got older they created the inklings that was huge for him and then and then his love for his wife I mean like I always forget how much their story is such it's it's straight out of a movie you know mm-hmm. like they fell in love then they were told they couldn't see each other till a certain age and then during the time she gets engaged He's broken, and then she literally calls it off because in a letter he like pours out his love for her. Yeah, and they get married. I'm like, come on! I thought they did such a great job with those things because he led such an ordinary, normal life. Right. Of course, World War One, he didn't lose both of his parents early in age, but after that, he ran like a normal, regular, everyday life, which is why he considered himself a hobbit. Mm-hmm. So, I thought it was it was. In all but size. Well done with, with how normal his life really was. Yeah. I think most of the turmoil was in the beginning, which is what they covered. I think he would have appreciated it because it, it, it covered those two big things. His, yeah. his relationship with his wife and fraternity, the, the friendships he had that formed him. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's, would be an interesting thing to, obviously there's no way to find out, but I'm sure you'd have split reviews as, as most of us do. Yeah, and you can't ask any of his family because they hate everything that anybody does. Yeah, they <laughs> they didn't want to have anything to do with this at all. Yeah, but that's pretty typical. They did the same thing. Actually, the uh, Lord of the Rings TV show that's coming out, they're mm-hmm. basically are completely hands off from that too. Yeah. So, on a kind of separate note, you you know what we do with this podcast because you've listened to a few episodes where we take something we're talking about and also apply it to 
maybe our faith or whatever, since Tolkien loved fraternity so much, mm-hmm. how important do you think that is? And this is more of an open on the table topic and directed at you. That is actually when it comes to whether it's life or a faith life. Mm. I think it's huge and good and something that's died out. Because I think what you see in his relationships, a lot of times, because a lot of people who read Lord of the Rings, especially between Frodo and Sam, Sam they go, oh, they're gay. Like, <laughs> people go straight to that, yeah. they, were, they were gay. Would, they wouldn't have said that, like, so many years ago. Though. Yeah, it's like, like, back then, like, it was normal for men to be emotionally, emotionally attached, to be physical with each other, hugs, you know. You see in the, you see in the movie after he gets drunk, after, <laughs> you know, being so sad that uh, she was engaged, that right. he, like, his friend gives him some encouragement. He touches him on the hand. Like that wasn't anything questionable then. But now, if you're close to a guy, you know, if if you hug or you're emotional with a guy or touch his hand, then you know you're you know who you are is called into question. But and what I love about what what they show within the relationships is they weren't just they weren't just trying to bury each other in their crafts because one was a composer, writer, poet, artist. Uh, artist. Yeah, but they also called each other out and called each other to greatness mm. and called each other out when they were screwing around like when his opportunity appeared to he had lost the opportunity for for his scholarship to continue but then this professor was kind of subtly showing interest in him and they were like how do you not see this as your opportunity like switch your major and then you can continue and possibly get this you know they were just calling him out and saying like hey dummy like pay attention and i think we don't have that i think now we just have we get together, it's for guys, we get together, we hang out, we drink beer, we stay super service level and, and just, you know, shoot the breeze and like that's it. Very rarely will we really call each other out and hold each other accountable. Even I'm even thinking now, like we're, last summer we had a really good, consistent guys group that gathered and we're trying to talk about starting that up again now because it kind of died during the year. And one of the guys mentioned, like, what is this? Are we going to hold each other accountable? Are we going to call each other out? Are we going to... Or are we just going to drink beer? Which is fine. That's good community. It's fine. It's good. But do we want more than that? Do we want? Do we need to set that straight at the beginning that this is a safe place to do that? Right. You know? I wonder if that's part of the reason why we today feel so overwhelmed with everything is we feel like we're going about everything on our own mm-hmm. rather than having this group of guys or group of girls to support us in that. Well, I know you two have been talking about lately... <clears throat> Like, just the idea of, like, the inklings. Yeah. And then, like, something that Father Mike said about creation. And so I I don't know if that also plays into not only, like, holding each other accountable and just being, like, authentic, but you will do more of what you want to do if someone else is there to, like, talk you through that or, Mm -hmm. or like, see you do that and then be like, that's a terrible way to go about that. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned mentioned Father Mike, and I was kind of catching up on his his uh, homilies and so I was listening back to all the Lent ones <laughs> which is over but uh, I don't know at the beginning he mentioned he was because a lot of people say like don't share what you're doing for Lent because it's it's not humble or whatever but he was like no he's like find someone some people to tell them hold, and they can hold you accountable he said don't do Lent alone you know and I learned that in ministry I learned the power of, of having people around you when I moved back to Texas and to the church I was working at and they had deanery meetings. And in this deanery, like none of the youth ministers ever came. And I was like, what's the deal? But then as, as I started meeting other youth ministers around like the Houston area, 
and just starting sharing like triumphs and struggles and everyone's like oh i thought i was the only one that went through this or i thought mm-hmm. i was the only one that went through this and i just saw like, the importance of community and sharing because there's you know like there's nothing new under the sun like we're all going to go through something alike right or have some two cents to, to give and support well it's that idea that satan separates us mm-hmm. right tries to make us feel alone scatters yeah and i mean uh, we've talked about this a lot gordon yeah that, like this is one of my biggest things in faith is like brotherhood mm-hmm. in in college i created this this men's group actually a lot of them are listeners too mm-hmm. because i went to seek conference from focus and mm-hmm. i'm familiar with that and one thing they challenge us to do is exactly what we're talking about here to surround yourself with people who are going to build you up mm-hmm. and to push you to go forward and so coming down here like i didn't feel like i had that as much and so i've been reaching out with with gordon obviously we're accountability partners now and just check in with each other on all kinds of different stuff and then what you were just talking about with the creation thing so obviously the inklings they would create something and then every week they'd come together and share mm-hmm. and so what he was talking about with father mike is i think this was back in probably november he had an episode where he talked about how to create something requires vulnerability mm-hmm. but to critique something does not right and so to critique something you're just saying what you think of someone else's vulnerability uh which is mostly true i think and so i think what i kind of pose to gordon is like if we within our accountability group here create something and share it that's forcing us to open ourselves up in a way that Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have otherwise Mm -hmm. it also reminds me i like doing art yeah but on my own i hardly do it exactly and chris knows i like doing art and actually, I've never told him this, but like it's been like a blessing being able to work. Because for my listeners, I Chris is sort of my boss, um, sort of, sort of, sort of, <laughs> on a lateral level. He doesn't do anything I say. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But it's been like a blessing working with Chris because he tries to give me artistic things to do. So like backdrops for series we do, as well as he knows that I like building like structural pieces and he we've we, we haven't like put this in the place but we, we've talked about like maybe i can do something like that for a retreat um he knows i, mo- I don't really buy buy like art pieces i just go dumpster diving he's like let's just take a weekend let's, let's go, go dumpster, dumpster diving, diving. Yeah, he's like told me all the stuff and like <laughs> if it wasn't for chris though there's a lot of things i wouldn't do artistically mm-hmm. that on my own and so i think there's another power to that too um, someone else just like let's go do this because yeah and provide those opportunities. One thing that I wanted to go back to is we were talking about Tolkien's idea of like fantasy and myth mm-hmm. before. And I think one big thing that he has or that he believes about myth is that it's supposed to pull you into a world that almost seems more real than the world that you're actually in. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about that in on fairy tales in mm-hmm. one of his lesser known books. And so I was wondering what you guys think about that, that these these fantasy worlds that he believes we should create are supposed to draw us into a deeper reality than the reality that we exist in mm-hmm. and then point us to something outside of that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What do, you, what do you guys think? I don't think I heard the quote fully, but the only thing that comes to mind when you say that about like this like fantasy in a general mm-hmm. sense is supposed to draw us into something, like a deeper meaning of something, is I think of D&D. And okay. I think of everyone I've ever talked to and their first character they've ever built. Hmm. And usually when someone builds their first fantasy character, it's like this 
I don't know if it's an I say an ideal version or just it's some it's mostly themselves. Oh yeah, like everyone sure. makes a character that's like this is who I would be in this world. Yeah, and it's not until you play like three characters, maybe even sometimes maybe one, where you're like, how much fun would it be to play a character I would never be? Mm-hmm. But usually people build like, and then I think when they play that character and something happens, and like they have to learn to adapt, like because it's them, they're they're finding these things about them along the way that maybe they've never experienced because they don't go through such trauma in real life that they have in this like fantasy world Mm -hmm. and so it's like they can it's like an introspective weird type role playing Mm -hmm. i don't know about where that guides you in in the the end of the quote like guiding you to something more something greater but that's the first thing came to mind it brings you to a deeper understanding of yourself at the very least i think yeah Mm -hmm. Can't tell if you're thinking still. He's I'm thinking. really That's thinking. thinking. Okay. <laughs> Gordon knows what I'm like. He's not good about thinking. We'll have an answer next week. All right. That's fine. <laughs> Say the question again. So basically, his understanding of, of myth is that it's something that when you're drawn into it, it seems more real than the reality that we are presently in. So the real reality. Mm-hmm. And from that, it typically points you to something greater like that's that's real but that we don't realize is real in our current world mm-hmm. so for example he goes he goes on in in that same book to say that christ is the ultimate myth not mm-hmm. because it's false yeah. but because he draws us into himself in a way that we start to understand things that are more real mm-hmm. than reality itself so i i think of like a nation contemplation mm-hmm. i don't know if you've done that but like the whole point of it is, is it real in the sense that I'm touching this table and it's mm-hmm. real? No, but I'm placing myself into this story of scripture where I start to understand realities mm-hmm. that I don't, I, I wouldn't normally comprehend if I was just to look around at the things that I physically see. Yeah. So I think that's a little bit. I'd better. say I, I agree, especially, you know, Combine that with you know how he was had a hand in, in C.S. Lewis's conversion mm-hmm. was through myths. He's basically yeah. saying like all these myths, Egyptian, Norse, whatever, were all pointing towards Christ, you know, and that was you know C.S. Lewis's foot in into the church, um, and the reality that those things came from somewhere, like they were inspired by something, right? And I think also I think that's why things like Lord of the Rings, or I guess it's not necessarily myth, but but fantasy, like uh, especially Harry Potter, they may have a larger audience than say like the comic book world, because the comic book world is, is not it's not a bad thing, but it's, it's escapism. Like like I'm gonna read this to enjoy this and like jump in. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Although they can go very deep and have very robust meaning and and things to teach. But I think within like Lord of the Rings or, or different myths like that, I don't know. You kind of, it's something you 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 can get into, yeah. And it's can very much mirror your world because the, you know I don't know if it's getting too weird, but like even the world we live in, we can all say different truths. Like, no, the reality is this. No, the reality is this. What's going on because of what we've been through, what we've seen, how our personal world has been shaped by our family, friends, things we've gone through. But 
we can't really do that with Lord of the Rings. Mm. There can be different interpretations of things, but like what he wrote is what he wrote. Right. And this is a good person. This is a bad person. This war happened in this way for these motives. And I can't say anything else. And so that's the reality. No matter what I've been through in my life, this is what happened in this story. And so I think that might be a part of it also. Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it does. I, I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder if part of it also is, um, like, within a myth, you have certain things that you're going to exaggerate to get a point across. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if part of that also is when we're drawn into this this whole world that you're talking about that goes deeper than the comics or other mm-hmm. types of stories. When you're thrust into this whole world, everything around you becomes something that can exaggerate or teach you something new. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's part of it too where I'm trying to think of an example this is an easy thing evil in myths is always exaggerated mm-hmm. like there's no doubt evil is evil and good is good mm-hmm. like in almost every myth and so because of that I think it helps us to understand the conflict between good and evil right so that's kind of a, a simple comparison but I think myths do a really good job of portraying things in a more exaggerated way. Yeah, and like like the purpose of, of myth is to, I mean, I learned this in, in like scripture classes, but like is to teach about the world. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. like, like the creation story, the creation myth isn't necessary to say, isn't necessarily to say and teach that creation happened in seven days, but, you know, God created all these things. Mm-hmm. It's all ordered. It was all, it all had a purpose. He had a vision and has to teach. And, and I think, that's why storytelling is so important and so good. I mean, how many people come to life and come to faith through like Narnia? I mean, like my, mm-hmm. I, I, you probably witnessed like reading, you know, when I read parts from when Aslan's speaking, I like break down. Cause like, it's so powerful to me. I may not necessarily break down reading like the gospel, <laughs> you know, from the Bible, but that's what's happening. And that's what's being said. And that's what's happening through this line that's supposed to, you know, express who Jesus Christ was. And that tears me apart. And I've learned and, and I've learned so much from that, you know, and it's, it's, it's expanded my faith life through this fantastical story, mm. you know, yeah. almost enhanced my real life right. from this fantasy. Well, it, it takes the gospel and something that what well, gospel is almost something that we've become numb to in a lot of mm-hmm. ways, because a lot of us have been raised with it. Mm-hmm. And the culture has been numb to it as well and gives us that story in a, a different way that mm-hmm. even for young kids is, is exciting. That's thrilling, but still teaching us the same story. Mm-hmm. Here's, part of so it. here's what I think after like thinking on this for a second. Mm-hmm. I think what he said is true because when we live out our regular day, like real world life, like you, like you just stated, sometimes we, we can just kind of be, be numb to certain things. We can get into routine. We can cu- stop kind of like thinking philosophically about certain things or like searching or whatever. And when we start to like read fantasy or watch fantasy or any type of, I, would, I wouldn't even just go as far as fantasy, but like fictional story. Mm-hmm. I would say even like Netflix, like a movie or anything. Mm-hmm. And we, get, we get sucked into that and like we're a part of this story now it allows our subconscious to like open up and take over. And when something happens or doesn't happen or 
when we like when certain things are unveiled uh, this that natural desire to seek truth mm-hmm. and for this or for that kind of comes to surface so when something happens and you're like that's not supposed to happen he's he or she isn't supposed to die and and you can kind of begin to question why you were attached to that character mm-hmm. why this happened and more and more truths to your own self and like your own journey like come to light mm-hmm. um, and I think that'll that'll point you to some direction overall yeah I, yeah I mean I mean like comic comic book purists people who follow the the lore of, <laughs> of comics you know they they say that comic books are our modern day myth like they right. are modern day myths and I mean just think about it the whole like MCU right I mean like how invested people were I was in this you know and then you get to Endgame and you have those those you know final battles like you know Doctor Strange brings them all to the battlefield and people are hooting and hollering and like cheering and then you have the end I'm ruining it I just we've realized what I've already done okay so you're good. good we'll put we'll put another thing too um but like you know and then it ends and and people are broken I mean like I lost it in the, in the in those final and there but there's so much goodness in it and you know who's bad and who's not mm-hmm. and you know with while watching that whether you're reading or or, or watching the whole goal is to take time out of your life to invest in this, and and you're, while you're reading, while you're watching, you're you're contemplating, you're, you're thinking, and then hopefully, I think it's to look back on your life because sometimes we don't stop to reflect, and that can aid us, yeah. you know, in that reality, that real true life that's happening on the screen, that real true life that's happening in the book, we'll we'll be able to reflect back on our own life. Kind of like never ending story. That's another story. That <laughs> <laughs> never ends. I do have one quote that's kind of long that I wanted to share on, on this this topic. So this is again from On Fairy Tales. So Tolkien writes, I propose, therefore, to arrogate to myself the powers of Humpty Dumpty and to use fantasy for this purpose, in a sense that is, which combines with its older and higher use as an equivalent of imagination. So there's a lot of big words, so I'm going to kind of chop it up here a little bit. The derived notions of unreality, of freedom, from the domination of observed fact. And so he's basically saying, like, there's this unreality, this fantasy, if you will, that isn't necessarily restricted by fact. And so there's something beyond that that we can go to. In short of the fantastic. I am thus not only aware, but glad of the etymological and semantic connections of fantasy with fantastic and so he's kind of drawing these comparisons with images of things that are not only not actually present but which are indeed not to be found in our primary world at all or are generally believed not to be found there and so he's showing that in this this unreality or this this fantasy world we can see these realities that we're talking about that that can't be perceived in, in our natural world because it's not restricted by what is quote-unquote fact but while admitting that, I do not assent to the depreciative tone that the images are of things not in the primary world, if that indeed is even possible. It is a virtue, not a vice. Fantasy, in this sense, is, I think, not a lower but a higher form of art, indeed the most nearly pure form, and so the most potent. And so he's saying that because it's not restricted by what is factual it's able to teach us things in a way that is more powerful and more artistic 
than anything else. Mm. So that's kind of taking what we've just been talking about and like doubling it up. He's saying it's not just effective, but the most effective. And here's why. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then (laughs) before he fell, though, Humpty Dumpty as himself was uh, the world and humanity before the fall. And then he falls, right? Mm-hmm. And what what God intended for us is is broken. And you know, the end of the story, they couldn't put Humpty back together, like they couldn't fit all the pieces right. And that's because some of the pieces are of this world, and some of the pieces are not of this world. And so we have to tell fantasy stories in order to understand the pieces we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he's saying here is like, we can't fix put this puzzle together. That's why he starts with the Humpty yeah, Dumpty yeah. thing, because worse because because of the fall because of our brokenness because of adam and eve we can't comprehend the things that god intended for us that we can't comprehend here on earth now but fantasy lets us comprehend those things Mm -hmm. because it adds in wizards and things that aren't real but explain this bigger picture yeah of what like god and these things we can't understand to to be does that make sense yeah did you just do the thing or is humpty dumpty actually about the fall no, no, no. I just did the thing based on what he said. I was trying to like, I was like really listening to what his quote was. And I think that's what he meant. Damn. That's, that's, that's good. good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it makes me, it makes me think back to like myth and the purpose of myth of like, people didn't know like. People, Maybe that know, is what Humpty's about, but. Maybe. It is. It is. <laughs> I believe yes. it. That's it. But like the idea of, of like, well, the reason people wrote myth is because they had questions about the world they lived in. Yeah. And so they're like, well, maybe, maybe right. it's this. Yeah. Like, um, with like why the sun rose and and fell and like why we didn't see the sun every day. Mm-hmm. So there's like a a goddess or god that mm-hmm. would put it up and right. They were usually like in prison to do so after doing that. How we got fire. Yeah, it's a great one. And the idea of uh, and I think he says it like like we take part in creation in the creation of of these worlds that yeah. you know, authors create. Like, and I love when he talks about how he didn't necessarily create his world but that he discovered it yeah i like, love like, that quote yeah like like it was it was uh he was a historian and he's trying to figure out like you know the first thing he wrote like in a hole in the ground lived the hobbit okay what's a hobbit i gotta i gotta figure that out right where does it live i, I don't know like who, who created who and how was that world he lived in created mm-hmm. and he saw himself more as a as a historian as a as a someone discovering something than actually just sitting there and imagining and creating. I had kind of had that experience like two years ago when I went on my first men's retreat. I was doing the um, outdoor Stations of the Cross. And I'm very visual and I have a big imagination so I can make up like random things on the fly. But like I had this vision of this scene and I spent, once once our day was over, I spent like the rest of the night just like writing and being like, okay, well, who... In, in the story I, I came up with, I was like, okay, who is this person? Like, I kind of had that experience of, like, I'm not just making this up, but I'm trying to discover who these people are. Mm. In this world, that popped up in my imagination, but there's there's truth and reality and there are laws and rules in that. That's what it made me yeah. think of. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I've been experiencing that, too. Like I said, I just started writing again for this little creation thing that we, we've been talking about. And as I write, I go in with basically nothing and then you come up with a name or a character mm-hmm. and pretty soon you're just writing and everything else just comes to you well yeah i think i think uh 
J.K. Rowling, it all started with the Dursleys. Oh, really? I think that it started with them. Wow. Like, I think they might have been like her first drawings or whatever, um, but I know they were very close to the beginning of the storytelling. Hmm. I could be wrong. Erica can correct me, but <laughs> <laughs> like it started with a name or a people or a family. Yeah. And then you just discover who that is. It makes sense. Yeah. I can see it being the um, Ron's family. The Weasleys. Yeah. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I could be like a... They're pretty family. central. Yeah, I don't know. But... So the last kind of thing I was thinking on is actually a word that Tolkien coined himself, the eucatastrophe. Mm-hmm. So the eucatastrophe is... Well, it comes from... So it's mm-hmm. finding the good which comes from the bad. Mm-hmm. And that was something that he loved and that he incorporated in, into all of his stories. So I just wonder what your guys' thought is on that. Maybe maybe within some of his writings or, or even just like what does the catastrophe look like, mm-hmm. do you think? I mean, he ultimately says that it's, you know, Christ's passion. Like those are like the ultimate eucatastrophe. Yeah. There's, you know, he's in there in, in the book I just brought, like he says there's joy in the beginning and there's joy in the end and like tremendous loss and death somewhere in the middle. But, yeah. but uh, you know, the good and the bad. Um, I think it's throughout all of his stuff. I mean, like there's so much drama and loss and ache and sacrifice, but always for like the good. I think that's why there's so much hope. Mm-hmm. Because, and it's the same for the Christian life, right? We, we know that there's hope because we know that there's a God who makes good come from the bad. Mm-hmm. And so when you have the worst possible thing that could happen to us on earth is the death of God himself. Mm-hmm. And the greatest possible thing that could happen to us comes from that, which is our redemption and, and ability to be with him mm-hmm. from that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, from what you just said reminds me of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and he yeah. follows. He was in, I think he was in Auschwitz, um, but he, you know, very much paid attention to what was going on, and and the people who had something to live for were the ones who were well, more well off. So he would tell a story about like um, someone might have had uh, a wife in one prison camp and, and a daughter in another prison camp and um, someone comes in from those camps and says, oh, your, your, your wife and your daughter, they're fine. And then they and then someone else comes in and says, oh, I'm sorry, they passed away. And then like two weeks later, their body gives away, they get sick and it breaks down and they pass away. Or someone came in and there was like the hope that, hey, after Christmas, the, the allies are going to come in and, and we're going to be saved. That time came and went and people that hung all their hope on that got sick and passed away or, or gave mm-hmm. up. And it also made me think of this article I just read. It just made me think of just our faith of, of like, you know, what do we live for? You know, and like that, that's what gives us hope. And it was this article about different, someone did this study about the places in the world that where people live the longest. And one of the places was, uh, I think, Okinawa. And they have this, I don't remember the, the term for it, the word, but there was a word in their culture that meant like what you live for, what gets you out of bed every day. Mm. And so it was natural for them to be like, well, I live for, I live to see my grandkids. Like they give me life or I, I fish to provide food for my village or whatever, but like not necessarily, they weren't living for success or wealth or anything, but like what gave them life. And, and you know, I think that's where hope comes in. Mm-hmm. Like, like what gives us hope? Um, right. And I think that's like you said, throughout, his his writing throughout his fantasy yeah 
Do you think eucatastrophe is lost in our modern culture? Totally. Because no one wants to suffer. Okay. No one wants to suffer, but like we hide and do everything we can to stay away from it. And, to and, avoid catastrophe, but in the same yeah. sense, don't you, would you also agree that people like seek out catastrophe in other things? I, th- I think it happens, but they don't realize... Like, catastrophe is a bad way to put it, but in the bad of, like, oh, that presidential speech was bad, or oh, this movie was so terrible. Like, there, there it has to be extremely, extremely exceptional, or else it's just bad. And I there's think, no in-between, and there's no good in the, in the bad. I think that is the cause, or uh, an effect of the fact that we no longer recognize the catastrophe. Because... Mm. The eucatastrophe okay. is still happening. Mm-hmm. Like there's still these joyful things happening. I think what's missing is that we don't take the time to look at it. Mm-hmm. And when we don't recognize it, what Gordon's describing happens. Mm-hmm. Because when we're not recognizing that there is good, it becomes that much worse. Mm-hmm. With the eucatastrophe, like let's let's say like small eucatastrophes. The general public stays very surface. So people who are into fitness, that's suffering. Like, you put your body through pain and suffering for a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a guy I, I used to follow on YouTube, uh, Elliot Holson. He used to, used to do strong man who's huge, massive, and now he's going, he went down this, this weird, new-agey type route. But it's super interesting listening to him now because he talks about, you know, and I'm always like, we've, we have, we've had that in the church from the beginning, but, like, the idea of fasting. So like fasting is a huge thing. Like it's it's super popular right now, um, but mainly just for I can lose a lot of weight for fasting. But what what are the lessons you learn within that fasting, within that struggle, like who you are and what you can do, not just the physical aspects, but 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 spiritual aspects. So if I can get through this, like not eating for however long, then other things wouldn't be so hard. And he even he even um, uh, talks about. I think he used to be Christian, but he, he's, I don't know what he would consider himself now, but he's like very, you need to stop masturbating, you need to like not have sex till you're married, you need to not stop watching pornography. And so all of this is like self-sacrifice, fasting, and most people watching that, I think, or thinking about that will remain surface, very surface. Okay, well, then I can finally have sex till I'm, when I'm married, versus... No, because it's good and healthy and holy. It creates temperance. Yeah, yeah, but but most of the time, whenever whenever we suffer, like if you're in school, there's suffering, and you're studying, and time you have to spend doing that, going to classes. There's mm-hmm. suffering in fitness and in health. There's suffering in all these other things. But then you see it where people don't want to suffer is is in faith. Like why is it so hard? Right. Why why is believing in God so hard? Why 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 is there suffering in the world? We don't see where where do we find the good? Where do we find the hope? We don't want it to be there. Yeah but we'll choose it in all these other aspects of our life and not necessarily notice that. I, I agree. I think showman was really boring. That's what I'm saying. That I disagree on. We can, <laughs> we can talk about that after. <laughs> I do want to go ahead and wrap up with a, a challenge really quick. So I was thinking about this last night and actually to prepare for today, I read Leaf by Niggle last <gasps> night. Which is where do you like own it? Or I like, just so I googled it last night, and I wasn't even trying to. But there's a PDF that was just top. Oh, so it's like, so Leaf by Niggle is actually a short story by Tolkien about. Well, it's it's Tolkien. About, yeah, so it's about um, this artist named Niggle, and there's actually a quote in the really like beginning that 
I think portrays what we were talking about, the myth, a little yeah. bit ago. So it says, he was the sort of painter who could paint leaves better than trees. And I think that is basically the best way to summarize Tolkien's idea of myth. And so my challenge for you guys is to read a little bit of Tolkien this week. And not just like The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, but he has other less known works. And a lot of them are pretty short. Like I read Leaf by Niggle last night on this online PDF in, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, it's pretty easy. And it's just beautiful literature that draws us into something. About halfway through, I started to really remember what it was about. And I just felt this like shift mm. in, in the way that I was reading it. So I'm going to challenge you guys to find something that he wrote, read it, and just take some time to appreciate it and maybe create something yourself. Maybe take some time to write or to draw or something like mm. that. So with that, shout outs. Do you have any shout outs first? I, I don't. I don't think so. You don't have any? No. Chris, do you have like any shout outs? Shout out to Ethan Berger, who's on his way. He's going to be our, our summer intern. When does he get here? In five days. Five days. Okay. Nice, nice. So I do want to give a couple of shout outs to new people, though. New listener, Ishiki. And then there's a user, a lot of numbers, whose name you didn't give me my, your name. And so. Joe. And Joe. And Joe. Yeah. So thanks to you guys. We're gonna shout out Emmanuel too. I saw he listened to our last episode. He hasn't listened in a while. Oh, nice. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Emmanuel. a complaint? He hasn't listened in a while. He's in. No. <laughs> <laughs> but also, there there's a lot of you guys who are just coming back who haven't listened in in a little bit of time, and you're just coming back. So welcome back, guys. Thanks for joining us. So with that, what have we been taking in? You said you had a list. You want to go Too first? Much. <laughs> I'm like rereading parts of this book called uh, The God Asks Fundraising. I'm reading um, Contemplative, Contemplative Youth Ministry, a book called Hold Your Kids Tight, Hold Your Children Tight, or Close to You, something like that. It's okay. all about... It's, it's, Close it's, to you it's, sounds better. Yeah. It's actually <laughs> rocking my thought about youth ministry in that it's... The reason parents have a hard time parenting their kids now is because of, of how big youth culture is. And so kids depend more on their peers for guidance and affection and yeah. all that versus their parents. And so it's all about like how parents need to get that back. They need to be the center of their kids' life versus their parents now. We and talked about this, didn't we? Did we? A couple weeks ago, I think. Maybe. Yeah. It's I not, really want to talk about this. Like it's it's really like rocking my world. <laughs> okay. Well. I have two kids but then like, okay, is, does youth ministry play into that? Like hindering parents' attachment and the the attachment of teens to their parents and parents mm. to their teens. Are we as youth ministers doing more harm than good? Mm. Mm. The world may never know. Another podcast. I'll be yeah. back. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we actually this may be controversial, but we actually started watching Game of Thrones. Okay. Started like it. season one. Yeah, we started okay. from season one and we're on like season four. I just uh, stopped wow. season four already. Mm-hmm. Okay, like so the first four seasons it. are... <laughs> I mean, I can't come... The first four seasons are the most graphic. Okay. So, yeah. you just, that, you just got through the got worst. First season, and then it's... No, so <laughs> you gotta four. get it's through all that. No, it's the, fir- it's the first four, because yeah. th- didn't they change their contracts after the first four seasons? So there's no, no nudity clauses for all the main you characters. You could have said season five, and they're like, well, the first five seasons... Yeah. Well, Erica told me, she did. A little, she, she's the researcher, but she, I think she said that at one point in the, in the whole eight years that there ended up 
when there were more male writers, there was more there were more pornographic scenes. Really? When they, when they brought on more female writers, they kind of uh, they lessened. Yeah, that's yeah. awful. Yeah. <laughs> but that's makes so sense. bad. Yeah. yeah, I know, yeah. Music? I, I thought about this because I came prepared because I thought y'all did that's this. That's good. No one oh, ever says yeah. music. Um, David Ramirez, which is a Texas guy, yeah. which is funny. I just started listening to him a few months ago because I kept hearing his name throughout the years. And I looked him up and I was like, I know this guy because he went to... It used to be William Trace Baptist, but now it's Sugarland Baptist, and he is phenomenal. It's so it, it's like hauntingly hopeful is how I talk about it. And then like, hmm. what's her name? Samantha Crane. Hauntingly hopeful. Yeah. And then uh, those are those, those are your words. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. on my way to <laughs> this year's men's retreat, I listened to like all this stuff like the whole way. Wow, which is so good. I bet title for the episode yeah <laughs> so we were just talking about hope <laughs> yeah and then i i have like ike's new album ike and Dole's new album on repeat yeah, and yeah like yeah. audrey Assad's like last one like on repeat just so good nice yeah, that's it music books yeah. music books music books and that's what he said TV. yeah oh okay <laughs> it's like, music books this sounds <laughs> awesome <laughs> gordon what do you got are you taking anything nothing new still just crushing Downton Abbey okay. with Lizzie. So good. Yeah. Um, I don't think I saw the last season. Yeah. And they're coming with a movie. Oh, yeah. In August. Uh-huh. Lizzie freaked out. So we're just trying to finish the last three seasons because mm-hmm. we're almost done with season three. There's only six. So we're trying to finish the last three this summer. So come August, we can go and watch the movie and nice. cry, our, cry our eyes out together. Yeah. So I've actually been reading the book that you gave me the not a tame lion oh, c.s lewis i love that it is book. so good so yeah. far big fan much it's enjoying. kind of like a bio and then it get, just gets into different elements yeah it's like yeah. a bio plus like this book that i have here the the peter craft philosophy of tolkien but it's like the philosophy of mm-hmm. lewis yeah. instead so that one's really cool big fan of that and then i've been watching the new season of outlander which mm-hmm. is a pretty good show and what else oh i listen to a ton of podcasts mm-hmm. like so too, I've been doing like too. too many but i started a new one called tea with tolkien what oh yeah so it's uh Does she, have, she has an, it's, it's a girl right yeah, yeah it's yeah because Ka- i know from instagram i didn't know she had a, a podcast yeah so she does like oh, I etsy know. I know from twitter but that's about it yeah. yeah so she also has a book too but she just started a podcast back in end of november early december so short stuff they're like 10 to 15 minute episodes mm-hmm. so really easy good stuff mm-hmm. it's a, a lot of like what you and i talk about half the yeah. time so it's yeah. good stuff i, I think it she's the one i think she wrote like a, a journal for each of the yeah. yeah yeah that's her each of the books yeah and also well she wrote is like her testimony through tolkien i think if i remember that's right. cool yeah uh it's actually i added it to my to my list to check out i'm gonna add a i'm gonna add a question because i don't care and i can edit this how have you read you haven't read a bunch of Tolkien I've read like three chapters of of uh, Fellowship of the Ring okay I think it's, it's three it might be four chapters <laughs> I'm not asking you this question then how did you get into Tolkien you oh, guys do you remember when do I remember when yeah so I remember loving the movies when they first came out I so not, was that your first experience I had not read them beforehand okay. but my family hates the movies mm. and so it wasn't until college when i started that that fraternity that mm. guys group when they all loved it and so we were able to we binge watched the uh, unedited extended versions mm-hmm. like 
literally almost every weekend Mm -hmm. and we would discuss like the philosophy behind it and all that stuff and then i just dove in i would i'm geeking out sorry but like i would read the one wicked rule them all in my free time for fun Mm -hmm. and see how much i can memorize yeah and then i'd go do lord of the rings trivia on quiz up Uh uh-huh and like i dethroned three world champions on that. <laughs> that's awesome come at me that's actually that's how i got my nickname at the pines strider oh yeah, yeah, that's right yeah and mine's gandalf yeah <laughs> gandalf and strider you can be frodo and we have the whole uh so, trilogy yeah it's a funny thing since i really haven't i haven't read tolkien and i only really because i just got the book like not last christmas the one before it has mm-hmm. all three of them it's a really nice book because mostly being on the podcast with Clint, knowing you, I'm just like, I never really knew the faith behind all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, but growing up, I thought the boring, the, not the boring, the, I thought the movies were terrible and mm-hmm. boring. I've never, I haven't even finished them. I've, I fell asleep halfway through the last one. I own them all now. Mm-hmm. But I loved The Hobbit, like the movies. No! <laughs> I thought they were so much fun and I enjoyed them, but I've never read The Hobbit. Yeah. And so they were like, they had my intention. I was also older when yeah. I watched The Hobbit and I was younger when I, Lord of the Rings came out. Mm-hmm. So more of my attention and joy of movies were there. So I just had to say that. That's why I was smiling this whole time because <laughs> confession, I hated ah. Lord of the Rings and I loved The Hobbit I want up. to love The Hobbit. I don't love The Hobbit. It, movies. It's so hard. <laughs> the book is great. They just took, they took too many liberties with the... Yeah. Uh, I, I first came about it in middle school because like, there was like a summer like reading list or whatever. Like, pick whatever you want to read. And oh. it was like The Hobbit. I was like, I don't know what that is. So I went and found it in the library. And the cover was, it was after Gwehir had like rescued all of them and yeah. brought them to, his, to the mountain. And so that was, that was the cover of like this giant eagle and wizard and all these small people. I was like, this looks awesome. Like, that was it. <laughs> but that was it. Like I read that, loved it. And then like I, after I read that, Somehow I was looking through my, all my dad's like old books, and he owned like this old collection of The Hobbit, and then like all three Lord of the Rings, and this like box set. Yeah. And I was like, oh, awesome! So then I read those. Yeah, that's awesome. And yes. now my now oldest is named after <laughs> Samwise Gamgee's daughter and a flower in Lothlorien. Yeah. <laughs> so much for not saying their names. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I have no money, so if you steal them, you're not getting anything. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for doing this. It was fun. Next time when we talk about are we destroying families through youth ministry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to go ahead and uh, plug, your, plug your show? and Yeah, so it's all day. Instagram, Facebook, and the actual uh, YouTube channel. It's Drinks with Dreads. You'll find it. You guys can find us, as usual, at... On the Adventure 2 on Twitter, Facebook, The Christian Culture. Find us on our SoundCloud, all that stuff. Check us out on our website if you want all the extra content, the videos, the blogs, all that fun stuff. It's thechristinculture.com. And also, if you like what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can find us at The Christian Culture there too, where for as little as $5 a month, you can get bonus content. So check it out. as little as a dollar. Is it five? Well, it's five for the bonus content. You can give oh, as correct. much as you want, but if you want the bonus content, you got to get to the $5 tier. Yeah, yeah. So, with that, thank you guys so much for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time.
Greatest showman is great. I agree. False. <laughs> yeah, we'll edit that part out. <laughs>